What's up guys, Pastor John here. We pray that this message encourages you in your faith journey and we believe that God has an incredible plan for your life and our hope is that tools like this sermon will help you become who he has created you to be. Now listen, in order to truly flourish and thrive like God intends for your life, it takes community. What I mean by that is we don't believe that simply by attending church online alone that you're going to be able to become every bit of who God has created you to be and who you want to be to grow spiritually. You need other people. And we would love to help you connect with other people right here at Greenhouse. True growth happens when we're rooted in a community that supports, uplifts, and walks alongside us. And so with that in mind, we would love for you to join us in person on Sundays right here at Western High School or in microchurches throughout the week. Um, listen, if you don't live near our church here in South Florida, please reach out to us. We would love to help you find and thrive in a local faith community near you. We're excited to partner with you as we all become passionate followers of Jesus. God bless you. Good morning. We're, we're just getting started. Sorry, we're going to warm up here. Uh, last week, we talked about why we exist. It was sort of a vision cast and reminder. We exist here at Greenhouse to help, if you know it, say it with me, ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus. We broke it down sort of word by word. If you missed it or, uh, or were a part and said, man, that sounds, I'd love to learn a little bit more about this unique place uh, you, you call Greenhouse. You could check out last week on the podcast or YouTube channel, search Greenhouse South Florida, and you'll find it there. This week, we are kicking off a brand new series called Restore. Everybody say, Restore. This is gonna be a series of hope. This is gonna be a series of joy. This is gonna be a series of inspiration. This is gonna be a series tracing the thread of restoration all throughout the trajectory of the scripture, looking at this theme holistically. What would it look like to experience restoration in our souls, restoration emotionally, spiritually, in our relationships, restoration in our world? We're gonna be talking about God's heart to restore. This morning, I want to begin by making a case for the series and establishing the context for the next several weeks that we'll have together. Here is my premise. We need restoration. Can I get an amen? amen. We need restoration. We all in our culture, in our world need restoration. So if you stand with me to your feet as we get ready to read and honor God's word, we're going to center this morning on Acts chapter 3. And I'll establish some backstory. Jesus has been with the disciples. Jesus died. Jesus was resurrected. Jesus hung out with the disciples for about 40 days. And he gives them this commission to go, therefore, and make disciples. It's where we took our whole theme and mantra from. We're just trying to follow Jesus. And, and as these disciples begin doing life in the manner and the method and the way of Jesus, they come upon this man in chapter 3 who it says has been lame from birth. Now, this is not like uncool, lame. This is like he can't walk lame, so I just want to clarify. Multi-generations here. He is unable to walk from birth, and he is begging, as was his custom, every single day, it says, at the temple gates. And Peter and John are going by, and he's like, hey, can I have some money? And they're like, we're broke, but we got something better. In Jesus' name, and Buddy gets up supernaturally. It's amazing. As you can imagine, it draws a crowd. And Peter, off of this supernaturally derived crowd, preaches a message to communicate what has happened to this man. Verse 16, if you're ready, say, let's do it. Peter says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus's name and the faith that comes through him that he has completely healed him as you all can see. 
Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance. He's speaking of when you murdered, when you crucified Jesus, the Messiah. I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Now, here's his application step. Here's his action step off of this message. Repent, then. Everybody say, repent. Say it like you mean it. Say, repent. He says, repent, therefore. What does that mean? We'll talk about it. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, that he may send the Messiah, the Mashiach, the anointed one who has been appointed for you. His name is Jesus. Heaven and earth must receive him until the time comes. Check it. For God to restore, what does it say? Everything. For God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, I am asking that you would do what I could never do and we could never do, which is to individually communicate your hope, your love, your restoration power to every individual under the sound of my voice in the room online in Guyana and beyond. Please do it for your glory and your name. And all God's people said, turn to your neighbor, give him a high five and say restoration. That's a good word, restoration. If you're a human being in the room today or online, you've probably experienced the ache of loss. And if you are not a human being in the room, greetings, earthlings, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but but if, you, if you have been living for any period of time, you've probably experienced the ache of loss. It's just sort of the reality of the world that we live in. Some of you know this past summer, I had an opportunity along with Nancy and the family to take a sabbatical. What that means is within this industry, in the pastoral world, it's sort of gold standard every seven years or so to take a time of extended leave uh, to sort of process on a deep level, on a heart level, some of the challenges that you face in this life. I get to celebrate with families oftentimes that are having babies and marriages and awesome stuff and then sit in the midst of the pit with families in the midst of death and divorce and betrayal and addiction and, and, and there's heavy stuff and it's an honor and it's a joy to walk in Jesus in this way, but it, it's a lot, it's heavy. And, and so this summer, thank you church for being awesome and, and giving us that time. We had time as a family to get away and it was amazing and it was life-giving and, and it was beautiful and it was painful. Some of you might know, uh, approaching five years, I think now, Mom, about five years ago, my dad unexpectedly passed from a massive stroke. My dad was one of my life heroes, one of my faith heroes. We were really close, and, um, and, and, and that was traumatic and, and heartbreaking. And, and then we had a kid a couple months later, so it's like catch your breath and have a baby, and then you're getting all the sleep, and it's a restful, rejuvenating season to process through the hardships of life. <laughs> Parents are already laughing. Um, and then had a few months to catch our breath and got thrown into a global pandemic. So it's been, it's been, a, it's been a season for the Lash family and, and myself in particular. And, um, and so I kind of went into this sabbatical intentionally saying, I, I want to go there in terms of the grieving process with all of, all of the things. And so it, it, was a, it was a powerful, redemptive time, lots of tears. I'm reading books on grief, and some of you guys recommended books, and thank you for that. And, and it was just a, a really great time to lean into the emotions of loss with Jesus and to sit in that space and, and connect with him and in, in the God who, who gets it, who understands it. And, um, 
And while I was there, I was like, I might as well go all the way there. And so I ended up reading an article about uh, specifically grief in, in the pastoral world, like pastoral grieving. And, and th this article was written talking about relationships. And so it said, you know, the average, I didn't know this, but the average person will lose seven close friendships in the course of a lifetime. So it's, and, and they talk about how the, the hurt, the pain that's associated with that and how that's a, a challenging thing. Any of you have lost close friends, whether they passed away or, or you know, they, they moved or something happened like that. So the average person loses seven close friends in a lifetime. They said due to the pandemic reality and the great resignation and the division and the politics and the health stuff and all of the things, the average pastor lost seven friends in the pandemic. I felt that one. <laughs> And I was sitting over the sabbatical and I came back energized and I came back refreshed and I came back feeling awesome. But I remember sitting on purpose in the pain of loss thinking, man, life is just brutal sometimes. And I know this isn't the most peppy start to things and don't worry, it's gonna end with lots of hope at the end. But I need us to sort of sit in the reality that we live in a world full of pain. We live in a world that is so full of the ache of loss. Now, on one hand, we experience the brokenness out there, right? The brokenness in our world, the fragmentation of relationships. On another very real level, we experience the brokenness in here, right? This fallen condition. We, we find ourselves so often not being able to be the people we want to be and do the things we want to do. And so there's brokenness out there and there's brokenness in here and there's brokenness everywhere like Dr. Seuss. And it's like it's all over the place and, and we are steeped in a culture really with a lack of robust answers about what to do when we encounter the brokenness all around us. Here's what I mean by this. People are flawed, right? We all know this, we recognize this. People are flawed, people are human, people are gonna make mistakes, people are gonna disappoint us, whether they intend to or not, people are flawed, and yet the question remains, so what do we do when the people who are flawed do their flawedness? Not a word. How do we respond? Like, on one hand, we all culturally realize, yeah, yeah, people are flawed, I know. And then we, see, we get so surprised and, like, blindsided when the people who are flawed, we knew were flawed, do flawed things to us and around us. Which is why, more than any other moment or epoch, we need a vision for restoration. To get us all on the same page, here would be an operating definition. Restoration is defined as the healing, repairing, or putting back to the intended state. It's a reconnection. It's returning something to the former owner, place, or condition, making new again. This whole series, as we talk about restoration, is about restoring peace and hope and joy and life. The problem, or one of the problems of the moment, is we are in an era of D. It's the deconstruction and the delegitimizing and the de-evolution uh, de of things. Everything is falling apart, and yet this is a conversation about reconstruction and reconversion and reconciliation and renewal and revival and replenish. All of the re-words, because our world is starving for the hope of restoration. Here's one of my premises we sort of begin this conversation together and span it over the next several weeks looking at different facets or aspects of our lives. There is a sadness and loss that's only overcome by the joy of restoration. It, it, it doesn't do it for us when something is lost 
and we just get a replacement. Like it's, if you ever had a beloved pet and, you're, and you tried to do, maybe it was a goldfish, and you just tried to like swap one goldfish for the other, hoping the kids wouldn't notice, because all goldfish are basically the same. Not that I've ever done that. But if you ever did that, you would know, like it, and the kids find out. It's not just enough to get the new thing. You, you're hoping that there would be a restoration of the old thing. There's a sadness and loss that's only overcome by the joy found in restoration, which presents a problem. Because if we are indeed in a world full of loss, where the ache of loss is about as common to us as breathing, it feels sometimes, if we live in a world governed by the principle of entropy, that everything is sort of moving to this gradual but inevitable state of decay, if we move in a world and live in a world like this, how or where are we going to find restoration? If you guessed Jesus, you were right. <laughs> Let's take a look at the story this morning. I want to dive into this idea. Acts chapter 3. We're told a few things about this man in verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Sort of their custom. They had these regular hours, times, moments of prayer. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. There's a few things we know that if we're not careful, we'll breeze right past it. Number one, he was a man. What that would most likely mean, according to theologians in the Jewish tradition, was that he's at a minimum 13 years old, the age of accountability bar mitzvah. He's not a boy, he's a man. What we also know is that he's lame from birth, meaning he has been hoping and waiting and longing for some sort of a supernatural response or something from God for a minimum of 13 years, most likely longer. You ever been waiting on something, waiting on a prayer, hoping God comes through like this, buddy? At this point, most likely, you, you can tell by what he asks for. He does not ask for healing. He just asks for some money. He's probably given up at this point on the miracles, and he's just hoping for survival. If you've ever been in a spot where you've been hoping and waiting and longing and praying and yet find yourself waiting with what seems like forever and beginning to lose hope, welcome to this man. I was really hoping on Sunday that the Detroit Lions were going to pull it out. And, and then I was like, well, if the Lions can't, at least the Ravens, like Lamar Jackson, come on, South Florida guy. And my son was there. I was watching the game. And uh, actually, I was taking a nap because y'all, I was tired on Sunday. I went home, and I was knocked out. And Nancy came into the bedroom, and she's like, what are you doing? Why are you sleeping? Lamar Jackson just threw a pass and caught it himself and ran. She's like, you need to wake up for this. And I was like, I never thought you could be more attractive to me. This is a man, the kingdom has come, right? So I went out there. So we're watching the game, and my son was doing his thing, right? He's not the biggest sports fan, at least right now, but I'm praying that the Lord intervenes. Um, but, but he was like, Dad, what team are we going for? And so I told him, he's like, oh, the Purple Birds. I was like, yes, cool. All right, so we're going for the Purple Birds. And then he went off and did his thing. And, and at some point, he comes back, and in distraught form, he was like, no. And I'm like, what, buddy? He's like, the, our team, the Purple Birds, they're losing. I'm like, son, come here. We're Dolphins fans. You got to get really good at this feeling, okay? <laughs> We're professionals here. You know, but, but I remember he's like, no, our team, the Purple Birds, they're losing. No. We get distraught, right? We, we, we experience disappointment. We experience loss. And sometimes it's trivial things like our sports teams. And sometimes it's really meaningful things like our mobility. 
And, and, and the temptation, I get it, the temptation is to come into a, a spiritual space and, and, and you're going through it in like real life, but then you come to spiritual life and how you doing? Too blessed to be stressed, brother. Don't paint that foolishness on. Like, be honest. Like, you, no, you are not. You are too stressed to be blessed. That's what you are if you were really, for, right? Like, we, we experience loss. In, in this life, we experience the loss of things, the loss of relationship, the loss of viable income. Come on, somebody. Inflation, the loss of all sorts of realities. And if we're not careful, this loss of stuff ultimately leads to a loss of hope. And we begin to change. Our perspective begins to change. Our expectation begins to change. And the call this morning is a call to hope again. Here's the hope. You can be restored. Things can change. You can be different. It can be different. Are you telling me it's going to happen right away? I have no idea. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. All I'm telling you is... It's possible. This week I've been thinking about restoration over and over, and, and, and I started thinking about this church family and all of the incredible things that God has done. How many of you guys remember Pastor Robert Valdez? He was our microchurch pastor for a bunch of years. Uh, pastor Robert, before he was Pastor Robert, was Prisoner Robert. He, he, was, he was in prison, and he got out of prison. He met Jesus in prison. He got supernaturally saved, basically at gunpoint. He didn't die when he should have died, and, and that woke him up, and he was like, man, I, I need to make a change in my life, and so he started following Jesus, and I met him when he was fresh out of prison in Gainesville, 20 plus years ago and and I remember God working in his life and moving in his life and 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 Rob, Pastor Robert he ends up coming to Jesus radically transformed he starts growing as a disciple he has this group of men that take him under their wing and I'm a college student in Gainesville watching this happen and then and then he became Robert Valdez the the follower of Jesus and then Robert Valdez the disciple maker and then he led a micro church for like 10 years and and he married Karina and they have this amazing family and these incredible kids and it's this total beautiful story and he felt a called a ministry, but, but he was just like, I'm just going to be faithful. So he was a surveyor who led a microchurch. He said, whatever God puts in my hands, I'm going to use it for him. I'm going to tell my story. And, and 10, 15 years into his faith journey, I called Gainesville. I said, I need, another, I need some pastoral help. Who's like the best, faithful, most awesome microchurch leader going after? And they said, man, you need to talk to Robert Valdez. And he came down and he starts working as a pastor and he was incredible. And, and if you, to know Robert was to love Robert. He was amazing. And a couple years into pastoring, he gets a phone call from the Christian halfway house he went through when he was getting out of prison saying, hey, we need a new director. Would you consider praying about coming to be the director of the, of the House of Hope? And so we prayed, some of you remember this, we prayed over Pastor Robert and sent him back. He's now the director of the prison ministry that he went through. And he's telling, I mean, can you imagine? He's standing in front of people saying, I know what it's like to be in your shoes. Literally in this room, in this space. He brings his family up. He's like, here's what God can do. You want to talk about restoration? Man, it's amazing. He's, he's, he's someone who has been restored. Many of us in this room are people who have been restored, sharing the hope of restoration. What a story, right? Like you hear that, these are the like, like YouTube videos you watch and you're like, yeah, anything can happen, right? This is an incredible story. How did it happen to Robert Valdez, to Pastor Robert, the same way it happened to this guy here? 
And, and this is the core thought, and, and I want to, if you get nothing else that sticks with you, I'm praying this would stick. This is how it happened. Because everywhere that Jesus goes, restoration follows. You'll see it over and over and over again. Everywhere that Jesus goes, restoration follows. It's like his calling card. See restoration in the background? It's the wake of God's presence that's moved through the room, that moves through the situation. Everywhere Jesus goes, restoration follows. Matter of fact, it's the promise of Scripture. Look, jump with me back into Acts 3, verse 21. It says, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore, what does it say? Everything, as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. Now, I want to get technical here and kind of nerd out a bit. Do you know what this word everything means in the Greek in the original language? I'll tell you. Everything. <laughs> That's what it means. You're like, that sounds too good to be true. I know it sounds too good to be true, but it is true. He is going to restore, Scripture says, everything. Matter of fact, the same theme is picked up by Jesus himself when he's speaking with the disciples. They're communicating on this idea of hardship and loss and suffering. And how many of you know, if you follow Jesus, there will be pain and suffering associated with that call. Jesus said so himself. The, this is nothing new. The disciples are wrestling with this in Matthew chapter 19. Peter answers Jesus, Lord, we've truly left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, at the end of the story, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Many who are first, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Jesus promises, the scripture promises, God promises through the prophets, restoration. Now, some of this is the ultimate restoration when he returns and makes all things right. It's sort of the, the, the heaven reality of when at the very end of the story, but the promise from God to us is a promise of restoration. Because everywhere Jesus goes, restoration follows. You, you can bank on it everywhere he goes. Restoration follows. Primary to this good news, this gospel message is the restoration of all things. Let me give us a brief tour through the scriptures. In Joel 2, God promises that he will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Malachi chapter 4, it says that the Messiah will turn the hearts of the parents back to their children and the heart of the children back to their parents. By the way, that's a great promise to cling to in prayer. In Ezekiel, it says that God will remove a heart of stone, a calloused heart, a hard heart, a jaded heart, and he's going to replace it with a heart of flesh, a soft heart. In Jeremiah 30, God says, I will restore health to you. I will heal your wounds. In Psalm 51, David says, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. There's a promise of restoration of joy. And in 2 Corinthians 5, I don't know if there's a more hope-filled verse in all of the scriptures. It says, this means that anyone belongs to Christ has become a new person. You remember who you used to be before Jesus, some of you? Me? Just think about it for a moment. I, I know we get really discouraged because we're like, we're, a lot of us are like type A drivers. You're like, I want to get there and do that. Like, amen, you're not yet where you want to be, but do you remember where you were? If anyone's in Christ, they become a new creation, a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Everywhere Jesus goes, restoration follows. We need restoration. The good news is we can be restored. 
No matter how broken, no matter how hopeless, no matter how far gone you or an individual feel or a situation feels, Jesus is the God of restoration, and he does it over and over and over. Now, some ways I'm preaching to the choir because many of us have lived this. Like, can I get in? If this is your story, you're like, yeah, amen. Many of us have lived this reality of restoration. Many of us are continuing to live this right now in that process of sanctification where we, we ran from God with track shoes on and he's in the process of restoring us back. This is what he does. Like, Jesus brings restoration like only he can. Restored mind. Restored peace. Restored marriages, restored relationships with kids, restored health. Now, I want to be clear, often, if or when you invite Jesus in, it's not all hunky-dory on the front end of things. That's an antiquated phrase. Everything is not all good at the very beginning. Like, often what Jesus does is you invite him in and he wrecks your life. Anybody else got a story there? You're like, man, I invited Jesus in. Like, he tore it apart, right? And but he puts it back together in a way that only he could in the way that it was tended to be from the very beginning. He, he brings about, it's sort of like a, a demo project, like it feels demolished until you realize at the end of it all, it's a beautiful process of restoration. Everywhere Jesus goes, restoration follows. Listen to me, I don't know your situation, I don't know your scenario, I need you to know this is who he is and this is what he does. Everywhere Jesus goes, restoration follows. No situation too bleak, no situation too far gone, no person too far gone. This past year at Easter, we, we showed a video which was of this, this guy named David Roman sharing his story. Anybody remember this video over Easter? David was, a, was an amazing guy, he's a part of our church family, and, um, and he called me this past, know, maybe a month ago. He's like, man, John, and, and basically David was out fishing and, and he told this story on, on the screen. He was out fishing and one of the guys in our church ended up interacting with him, felt a tug from God, eventually started talking to him. And, and he's like, man, in that moment, I was getting ready to, uh, they're contemplating divorce with his wife. Things were not going well. Things at home were crazy. There was all this stuff. And, and through one interaction with a person, an ordinary person, becoming a passionate follower of Jesus, Jesus steps in and he calls me. This is like 18 months after that initial interaction. He became a part of our church family. And, and he said, John, you know, we're up here. They moved to central Florida. He's like, we're, we're up here. And, and John, I, I just felt on my heart to call and say, thank you for what you guys are doing. I said, yeah, man, you're, you're welcome. He said, dude, my wife and I are doing awesome. Both of them have now gotten baptized. They're both following Jesus. He's like, John, my kids are at school talking to their peers about God. Like, I'm talking, he's like, my, 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 my relationship with my wife is, is amazing. Like, we're, we're a family, our kids. He's like, all of these things have happened. And, and God, he's like, I can't even recognize where our family is at right now from where it is. He said, I know you guys are there and you're meeting in high school and stuff's crazy. And you're, you, you, it's all this work and all these volunteers. You guys are amazing and it's set up and it's tear down and it's all these things and it's a lot. He said, I just need you to know God is, these are my words, restoring changing lives and I want you guys encouraged because tell the church thank you because God is using you guys in ways more than you realize I said David I'll tell him this is what he does everywhere Jesus goes restoration follows everywhere he goes restoration follows you remember last week Jesus said follow me and I'll teach you to become 
Everywhere he goes, it's a progress of restoration. I will make you become something new, something whole, something restored. The restoration promise of Jesus is, by the way, great news to those who realize their need and realize the pain of loss. It's, it's actually offensive if you think you've got it all together. Like, I, I don't, I'm, I'm good, I, I got this going, I'm making this happen. It's often only a matter of time before that shifts and change and you realize I do not got this and I do need help. But the promise from Jesus is restoration. Why? Because the moral of the story is we're all more broken, more lost, more in need of restoration than we realize. We can be restored. We can, you can, we can be restored. The question is how, which goes back to the passage. Look in verse 17. The people have witnessed this supernatural, miraculous restoration in this place of, of walking ability, of mobility to this man. And, and Peter stands up and preaches in faith. He says, verse 17, now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God foretold what would happen through the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer. And here's the application point. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He says, here's what, here's what I need you to do. This is to an ancient audience back then and a modern audience right now. Here's what it looks like to experience the restoration of God in your life. Repent that times of refreshing may come. Here's what I need you to understand. Repentance triggers restoration. You're like, man, I, I would love for God to restore Here's the beautiful thing and the challenging thing about God. God shows up where he's invited, which means if you have a broke down renovation project and you don't invite in that awesome contractor friend that you own, he's not gonna fix it. Y'all realize that? Because hopefully your friend has some manners to them and they will not step in even if they are skilled to do it without the invitation to do so. Same thing with Jesus. Jesus is able to do it exceedingly and abundantly, more than you can ask or think or even imagine, but he stands at the door knocking and will not step in to do the renovation work until he is invited in to do so, which is why repentance triggers restoration. Now, ultimately, in, in the passage, and like we talked about briefly, th this ultimate restoration will happen. They, they call it at the restoration of all things. That's sort of language for the, the very end when Jesus returns and comes back and makes all things new and there's no more, no more tears and no more sickness and no more death. At the very end of things, that is the ultimate promise of restoration, right? I, I am still living with the loss of my dad. I will see him again, but right now there is still grief. There is still pain. There is still sorrow. I'm not saying that everything will get better immediately and Jesus is some quick fix topping for your Sunday and everything is better. It's not what he promises. But he does promise something right now. He says, repent therefore that times of refreshing may come. The promise of restoration is a promise and it will ultimately come through whether it touches this life or the next. But the promise from God in his word is a promise of refreshing now. Refreshing is the foretaste of the full restoration to come. It's an experience, it's a glimpse, it's a moment into it. We have ultimate hope of the capital R restoration when we get out of these paper mache suits and don't have to deal with this stuff anymore and get to be with Jesus for eternity and it's gonna be amazing. But he also promised it's not just some fatalistic man just grin and bear it and everything's going to hell in a handbasket, but at some point at least you'll get out of here. There is a promise of refreshing in the now because he's good, because he's loving, because he cares. 
about your earth life and your eternal life. Repentance triggers restoration. If you're taking notes, this principle is deeply transformative if you can get it. Repentance triggers restoration, which begs the question, what is repentance? Good question. On one hand, a repentance is of changing of your deeds, of your actions. It's an acknowledgement by faith of saying, all right, Jesus, you've laid out specific ways. Jesus is the truth and the life. He's also the way. There is a path that God has designed for your flourishing. We follow Jesus, if you remember from last week. And so on one hand, it is changing your deeds. Culture says do this. Jesus said do that. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to repent, change my mind, and precipitate a change of actions by your grace. It is a change of your deeds. It's also a change of your mind. And here's why I want to camp a little bit more this morning. Our culture has a mindset And it particularly has a mindset or a gap of mindset when it comes to this idea of restoration. Our world's approach is actually anti-restoration. Our world's approach, especially in this cultural moment, is actually much more annihilation. We call it cancellation. The world's approach is when someone has done wrong, let them know and make them pay. Which, by the way, God is okay with. This is a call, the biblical call is a call to repentance. We just mentioned that, where you're owning things. Okay, so when someone's done wrong, let them know. Amen, God would say. And make them pay. Okay. And then, that. Then what? There's no answer. If our world is flawed, and we know it's only a matter of time before each and every one of us blow it, drop the ball, fail in some sort of way, and the only MO in culture is make sure someone knows they failed and make them pay and make them own it and make them, okay, then what? The world's approach has a clear start but no end to it. And so it precipitates the vicious cycle of hiding when someone makes a mistake because they know if someone knows I made a mistake, I'm done. Which is why part of the call to repentance in our current moment would be a change of mindset. The call of the scriptures is a call to repent. It's a call to change and acknowledge wrongful thought process and wrongful actions and wrongful deeds. And it's a call to adopt God's mindset, which, by the way, is always looking for restoration. I'd love it if we became the type of people that are like, man, if you're in a rough spot, if you've fallen, if you've blown it, man, you got to get around some Christians. That's like the opposite, right? Some of us even laughed. You're like, man, that's, what, that's who everybody thinks the least people. Well, well listen to Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should re- restore that person gently. That's the Bible. This person did, re- yep, and the scripture says they, they, they have to get to a point where that is made clear to them and they are able to own that wrong. But your goal is not simply that they own the wrong. Your goal is a heart of love that they be restored with gentleness. You see the difference there? Culture gets half the equation, but it's missing the second half. Following Jesus means you have a heart like God for restoration. For followers of Jesus, restoration, it means living out of our future, what God has promised, not just out of our past and what we've done. It gives us a hope-filled approach to, that, by which we live life, which is restoration means, God, I believe what you said, and I'm looking and living my life out of the windshield, not the rearview mirror of my past shame and regret. It's looking to the future with hope. 
This week I heard an awesome story of one of my buddies from South Africa and, and he was talking about something. I'm like, man, that'll preach. He said, you know, we had this interesting experience in South Africa. There was this eagle that had been a part of this wildlife refuge for like 12 years that they were like, man, we're, we're gonna release this thing out into the wild. And so they took this eagle, they made it this whole thing. It had been there for so long and it had like fans. And so they had this eagle and they went out to its natural habitat and there was this big to-do and they were like, all right, the countdown. Three, two, one, open the cage. You know what it did? Nothing. <laughs> it stayed right in its cage. And everyone was kind of like, ah. Oh. And so he said, it was, it was so funny because all of the people, like all of the wildlife biologists or whatever, they all started like trying to do stuff and they, they started like flapping to show the bird. Like they were doing all this stuff. They finally got the bird freaked out enough where it went out of the cage and they're like, three, two, one. You know what it did? Nothing. It just stood there. And they start, he's like, John, it was crazy. They start literally pretending like they're flying. They start doing all this stuff, like nothing is changing. He said, and, and what they quickly realized was that while they had gotten the eagle out of the cage, the cage was still in the mind of the eagle. I was like, oh, that'll preach. And they were just like, it was the most anticlimactic moment. I'm just waiting there. Now the eagle finally flew for all of you that need to hear the end of the story, otherwise you're just gonna be stuck. Here's what happened. While they were there and the eagle was just kind of standing on the ground, unable, unwilling, unknowing what to do, they said a, another wild eagle flew, this is, this is the story he told me, true story, flew across the sky and did some little, ah, like whatever an eagle call is, I don't know, ah, whatever, whatever eagles do, that's what it did. And, and it did its thing and he said that the eagle on the ground kind of looks up, <sighs> flies away. And I would propose to you that you and I are not so different from that eagle. While so often God is inviting us out of the prisons and cages of our past with a hopeful plan of restoration, all of the earth things that we can do on our own, all of the self-help, all of the positivity, all of the can-do, all of the earth stuff that we might try, while we can get the eagle out of the cage, we can't get the cage out of the mind of the eagle. And ultimately, the only thing that will bring true rescue is a cry from above that calls us higher, that reminds us of who we are. Friends, you were made by God. You need to know this. You are not some cosmic accident. You are deeply valuable and loved by God. And if you cannot find the voices on earth that do it for you, it's because you are not made by earth alone. You were made by him. And if you tr feel trapped and stuck and hopeless, here's the great news. Hear a voice from above calling you to your true purpose. The world says, man, when you experience loss and hardship, man, you know, it's just, it, it is what it is. It is what it is, hopeless, trapped in a cage, often of our own making. Jesus says, reconsider. Repent, change your mind. That word in the original language is metanoia. Change your mindset. Think like me, Jesus says, and you'll be refreshed. And you'll see and you'll experience restoration. Why? Because everywhere Jesus goes, restoration follows. I don't know your situation. I don't know your individual need, challenge, or difficulty. Here is what I do know. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And everywhere Jesus goes, then and now, Restoration follows. 
And just like the scripture says, all things will not be restored until he returns. Now we see dimly as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. I am not saying that man, if you invite in Jesus, it's gonna be some quick fix and everything's gonna be better. In fact, I said the opposite. Many of us invited in Jesus and he made things worse, it seemed like in the moment, only to be ultimately transformed in ways better than we can ask, think, or even imagine. But I want us in touch with this. While ultimate restoration is a promise for then, refreshing is a promise for now. A foretaste of the ultimate restoration to come. And as followers of Jesus, this is our hope. He is our hope. And it directs our lives. And so I want us to culminate our time this morning remembering by taking communion. If you have your elements, ushers, you can come forward. If you have your elements, I want you to take those out now. And if you don't have your elements or you didn't get them, if I could have some ushers to the front and some in the back, just raise your hand real quick if you didn't get the communion elements and we'll get them to you right now. We got you covered. Just make sure the ushers see you and they'll, they'll get one in your hands. You can keep your hand up until they get them to you. And I just want us to take a moment. Scripture says that we should examine ourselves. We should take a moment to pause and, and do like David did. Say, Lord, search me and know me. Everybody got their elements? Everybody good? Scripture says, David says, Lord, search me and know me. Test my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way of the everlasting. I just want to take a moment of pause. We're going to take this together in just a moment. By the way, you don't have to be a part of this church, of Greenhouse Church. Accordance with the scriptures, we just ask that you be a follower of Jesus. And if not, you can just let this experience happen and just observe. We're thrilled that you're here. You don't have any pressure to take this. But even now, Lord, I'm asking that you would search our hearts. Lord, as we invite you in to shine your light, Lord, any sin, any wrongdoing, would you give us grace to repent? Any deeds that have not been lining up with your path of flourishing, Lord, lead us in repentance. And Lord, specifically any hurt, pain, or disappointment that we've been holding on to. Lord, I'm praying that you would give us grace in this moment right now to open our hands and let you in. Church, let's take just a moment. There's a uniqueness to Jesus as Lord unlike any other religious figure deity or religious tradition what we see in the life of Jesus in the ministry of Jesus is that Jesus knows suffering we talked about the ache of loss and that reality in the human condition what we're reminded in the book of Hebrews is that we do not have a, a high priest a spiritual leader who is unfamiliar but was tempted and suffered in every way that you and I are Jesus knows suffering Jesus understands pain Jesus understands trauma Jesus was crucified on a, on a cross. Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest followers in Judas. Jesus knows the ache of loss. Jesus knows what it's been like to, to be separated from the Father, the one that he loved the most, that loved him the most. Jesus, he understands. 
And he loved us so much that he paid the price for our restoration. The cost for the restoration of you and I was exceptionally high, supernaturally high. A debt we could not pay because of the wrongdoing that we had done or incurred through our actions, decisions, mindset, mentality. And so we were so loved by God that he sent his son Jesus to pay that cost with his own life. This is what we remember in communion. This ancient celebration done by thousands of years by followers of Jesus who remember that he was rejected so that we can be received, that he was smitten so that we can be healed, that he was cast aside so can we can be adopted in. And I want to remind us this morning, Jesus gave up everything, his own life, so that you can be restored. And I'm praying this morning you place your hope place your trust in him again in your life and in all of the big ways a recommitment to say Jesus I trust you and especially in those individual situations that feel so heavy in your life and your heart right now full of pain place your hope place your trust in him or in him again he promised those who place their trust in him will never be put to shame At the Passover meal that had been celebrated for thousands of years by the people of God, Jesus took the bread, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Church, let's take the bread together as we remember his love and his body broken for us. It says after supper, he took the cup. In the Passover Seder, the cup after supper is the cup of redemption. The people of God would have been doing this for thousands of years, remembering the redemption that God brought about for their ancestors back in Egypt. He says, listen, now when you do this, I want you to see the fulfillment. Do this, and as often as you do, do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. For as often as you drink this cup, you're remembering until I come. Lord, we remember your blood which was shed. The ache of loss, the pain and suffering that you endured. Lord, thank you that you are near to the brokenhearted. You bind up our wounds. Lord, we invite you in and we remember. Thank you that you are a restorer. Would you restore hope? Would you restore relationships? Would you restore health and healing? Would you restore vision and vitality? Would you restore joy? By your stripes, Lord, heal. Let's take the cup together. I wanna invite everybody to stand and we're not gonna close just yet, but I'm gonna ask some of our prayer partners up here to the front. I asked Zach and the worship team to lead us in one final response of worship. And and as we do that, if something this morning resonated in your heart, maybe it's not a specific thing that was said this morning, but you would just love to receive prayer. You're going through a situation. Something came to mind very quickly when we talked about the ache of loss. We've got a team up here of prayer partners who would love to pray with you and agree with you and talk you through 
the way of Jesus on your faith journey. And as we begin to sing and culminate our time in worship, you're welcome to come forward and receive prayer. And then I'll come at the end and close us out. Church, let's worship. thank you for your blood thank you for your sacrifice thank you for your love made manifest through action Lord I pray right now over this church family that you would stir hope in the room or for anyone watching online in Guyana Lord whatever the situation whatever the scenario it might be bad it might be bleak but Jesus you conquered death there is no situation too far gone for you to not bring about redemption, restoration. Lord, we look to you in faith. God, I pray a blessing over your people. Lord, would you bless them and keep them. Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance, your face upon them. Let them sense your smile. And give them your shalom, shalom, your perfect peace. In Jesus' name, amen.